0: you're tuned into Decay Mag podcast, online source for horror, thriller and sci-fi entertainment news.
1: Welcome, my name is Ken Arthur, founder and editor for dkmag.com that is d e c a y m a g.com and you're listening to the horror news. Podcast, a supplement for DK Mag, where you could find all our articles, uh, interviews, reviews, uh, video games, indie films, you name it, horror, sci fi, or thriller. And joining me on this podcast are
2: Enid Artus, content
3: contributor at DKMag.com, Stacy Cox, staff correspondent for DKMag.com.
1: And this is our first podcast for 2017, and in this podcast we're going to be delving into several topics in the movie field, in the television field, and we have an exclusive coverage, an event coverage, for an event that we went to, uh, Enid and I, here in New York, and it is a musical, a sci-fi comedy musical, uh, that is being featured here in the month of uh, January every weekend and it's called the wild women of planet wango yes that is a very hilarious title and an equally hilarious time and we're going to have an exclusive event coverage as well as some sound bites from the producer of the show and several cast members that is later on in our podcast uh, coverage Uh, let's begin with
0: movies Movies, Escape from New York Reboot.
4: New York, 1997. The entire city is a walled maximum
5: security prison. The bridges are mined. The rivers are patrolled. And the United States Police Force has everything under control, they think.
1: Escape from New York. If uh, you're a horror, sci-fi enthusiast, you would know Escape from New York. is classic uh, survival horror, if you want to classify it that way. Uh, It is a gem, a testament of uh, good filmmaking. It was filmed by John Carpenter, and now word has come out that there would be a reboot. Yes, the dreaded word, reboot. And this reboot, a lot of things are, are changing in the plot. And according to The rap, they had an exclusive coverage of this uh, of reboot. And in it, they delve on some very interesting aspects of this newly redesigned uh, script. According to The rap, Neil Cross would write the screenplay. Uh, and the draft is set for October 2017 now this is a draft of the screenplay so it's not concrete is that's why they call it a draft uh, John Carpenter uh, will serve as executive producer and here are several changes to this reboot to Escape from New York the characters the protagonist his name changes so instead of Snake Plissken as we all know it's going to change to Colonel Robert Snake Pliskin. Not much of a change there, just the first name. Okay, moving along. The antagonist is Thomas Newton, and he is described as a Playboy heir to an agrochemical and biotech corporation. In my opinion, that sounds like a villainous Bruce Wayne. Uh, Thomas Newton will replace the villain seen in the original film. Uh, who is called the Duke of New York. The character Hawk, as we all know, is replaced by Roberta Hawk. Now in the original film, Hawk was a male and they are changing the role to a female role. And Roberta Hawk is a CIA Deputy Executive Director. A fancy, uh, fancy position there. Uh, the setting. It underwent a change as well. So New York City is not a prison, as we n- all know from the original film, but instead is being replaced by a big brother society with authoritarian figures governing the residents. A woman named April supervises technicians and researchers known as seers and they monitor the city. But, something goes wrong, and the shit hits the fan, and I guess that's where the plot develops. Now, talking about the plot, here are some changes. In the reboot, the time is cut in half for Snake Pliskin to complete his mission. So in the original film, he had 22 minutes to rescue the president. Now he has 11. Uh, Plisskin's mission is to bring uh, Newton, the character Newton, back alive. So that's his mission. Uh, now, they're going to reintroduce a backstory to Snake Plissken that was not featured in the classic, so in the feature, in the classic feature, uh, Snake Plissken was already in custody, uh, that scene was cut off from the film, so now in this reboot, they're going to show how he got captured, and we, we all know how the story went from there, that he's forced to do something that he doesn't want to do, which is rescue the president, uh, so that's those are the points for the reboot uh, in comparison to John Carpenter's 1981 film, and um, reboot is a is a word that I detest because there's some feature films that shouldn't merit a reboot, and it doesn't. If the film is old and it has lost its luster, then there is an exception, but escape from new york is a classic and you cannot recreate that classic even if the lead actor goes on to portray his role it's still it's not the same thing uh just leave wall of love find a different concept if you want to re reinvigorate the the franchise which failed because part two form escape from new york was escape from LA, and that was total garbage in in my opinion so Enid, what is your opinion on Escape from New York with this reboot?
2: Well, with the little things that they have been doing, for example, they're going from 22 minutes to 11 minutes. What type of change is that?
1: Yeah, that's, that's his mission. I guess now because movies are 90 minutes and not two hours that, you know, they cut the action time.
2: Oh, I actually hope something good come out of it because like you say Escape from LA was kind of whack.
1: Yes, indeed. And Stacy, what do you think about this reboot Escape from New York? You have seen Escape from New York, right?
3: Actually, no, I have not. it's been on my it's been on my right, right to-watch list for like the longest. Uh I have heard about it. I've read about it. Sounds very good. I just haven't gotten around to watching it yet. But um I will say like uh i agree with you ken uh reboots are just uh, yeah re- reboots are just bad all the way around so i agree with you there but yeah it's definitely on my to watch list
1: you know the masses they got to form a, a hunt with pitchforks and torches and they're gonna come after you because there's a lot of movies <laughs> you haven't seen
3: <laughs> I know it's a lot. I mean, I have a lot. You should see my queue in Netflix. It's like hundreds, <laughs> hundreds.
1: Do, so. But don't don't watch Escape from LA. No, that is just horrible, terrible. There's no word for it. <laughs> That's one of those type of movies that you just bury it eighty feet under the ground and forget about it. It's, you have to watch Escape from New York. It's pretty good. It's I'm like the purge. Watch it. It's like the purge. Let's put it that way. But they came up with a better concept. Let's put it that way.
3: Sounds good to me.
2: It's just somebody going from one place to the other, just trying to escape. Hide me, hide me.
1: Right. You see, but escape from New York, um, not to give you uh too much away, Stacy. It's a jail. In the original film, New York City is a jail. So in this reboot, and New York City is not a jail, it's a regular city, but it reflects how we're living in right now with the cameras all over the place and the drones flying in the sky watching your every move. So I guess this reboot is trying to bring how we living in you know, like a social commentary. Okay, I
3: got it. Yeah, that definitely sounds good. And um, I definitely plan on watching Escape from New York.
1: Definitely. Okay, we're going to have your word on that. And aliens too. <laughs> aliens, she says she didn't see aliens either.
3: Definitely she needs to catch up.
1: Yes, catch up. These movies. I have a lot
3: of catching up to do. <laughs> I will admit that. I've just been like adding movies to my queue and so many movies that I still need to go back and actually watch.
1: Yes. Yeah. I yeah. and speaking about uh, movies to watch you have some news coming up uh what is the news that you have for us now
3: gremlins 3
0: movies gremlins 3 rumor
6: billy pelser has a nice home billy
5: is that you yeah mom it's me
6: a nice job
4: a nice girl.
6: If you're not doing anything this Thursday night, maybe you'd like to uh, go out on a
4: date with me. I'd love to. And loving parents who are about nice, to Dad. give him. You're gonna like this. No, no, no! Don't shake it. We're gonna have to
5: open it now. I won't wait till Christmas. <laughs> the most unusual gift <laughs> he ever got. What
6: is it? Not...
3: Grandma's Three. Yay! So. News of a new Gremlins movie has been circulating as of late. But the question is, is it just a rumor or can we look forward to a new movie? There seems to be some some controversy over this. According to iHorror, Chris Columbus, who served as the writer for the 1984 story, has been working aggressively on the anticipated third installment. There is a high demand for a new movie, but nothing has been publicly confirmed at this point. A page has been started on IMDb, pinning Columbus as the executive producer and Carl Aylsworth as the writer of the screenplay. But not many more details are given at this time. One thing we can rest assured is that the new movie will not be a remake or a reboot. Columbus has made his sentiments regarding this very clear. And I, for one, am definitely relieved and happy about this. As you know, lately, all we've been seeing are constant remakes and reboots or reimaginations of old classics. This year is full of them. 2017 is literally dominated by remakes and reboots. When it comes to gremlins, this is a very touchy subject. I can't believe it's been over 30 years since the movie was first released. It's one of those most cherished films from my childhood. 30 years later, it still holds its sentimental value as it did when I first watched it. To know that it will be approached as a sequel instead of a remake is very exciting. Also, that the original writer is on board with the project. This means that it will be handled with extreme care and little chances of it being ruined, like a lot of classics have been ruined by new filmmakers and directors. What do you guys think?
2: Well, I'm for one, I love the gremlins. Well, I like the cute one. Now when they become kind of ugly, <laughs> uh, they not as cute, but the other one, yeah, I'm definitely can't wait to see the movie.
1: Yeah, that was I remember Gremlins. That was, and then they had the toy line and the the, the teddy bear. That, that was a very popular movie. Had a great concept. Uh, a reboot mm-hmm, or or a sequel. I'm not too sure it's gonna be having that same impact now. As it did back then because back in the 80s a lot of films had great impact you had Chucky and you had the doll and you had gremlins and you had the toy line but to introduce like uh, gremlins and i don't know one thing you know for a fact it the, the creatures are going to be cgi and i don't i'm not a big advocate for cgi to replicate uh practical effects
2: weren't they cgi from the beginning
1: no i think they were puppets from the beginning
2: then they'll probably come up with some new puppets or they'll probably still have the old ones and make it to look better
1: no no that's just like yoda from star wars yoda looks better in the old star wars and in new star wars he looks so digital you see
2: hey look at you mr i I'm the new Star Wars fan
1: oh, that's a different subject what do you think about this Stacy
3: well um, we also have to take into account that Gremlins 2 was a fail um, yeah I, <laughs> like uh, my sentiments exactly um, with you can with uh, Escape from New York the sequel was a fail uh, Amid, I agree with you. Magua, what, what was his name? magwa he was adorable, and when he multiplied, you know, they were a different story. Uh, now, touching bases on the sequel, uh, it'd be, what was, the second one was released in 1990,
6: yes? Yeah, uh, I believe so, yeah.
3: Touching bases on the sequel, um, I don't know, I'm back and forth, uh, I love gremlins is one of my childhood favorites just along with Chucky and Freddie and all them. The eighties was prime. The eighties and nineties were prime. No one can, you know, no one can argue with that really that the eighties and the nineties were prime. Um, I think I'm more excited that they're approaching this as a sequel versus you know, a reboot or remake because that's where you're really getting into uh, murky waters right there or like dangerous territory. And as we've already seen, classics turned into remakes have been ruined. I mean, look at the new Nightmare on Elm Street, which, by the way, aren't they, you know, considering another remake of the remake?
1: Yeah, that I heard that's the rumor. Another remake from a remake. And uh, yeah. yeah, I agree. I don't know. Maybe Gremlins uh, a 3 or a Reboot, maybe it'll look nice in CGI. Maybe not. Um, so far, CGI, you know, I would rather this new Gremlins be uh, uh, practical effects. If it's practical effects and it has a good story, then yeah, maybe we could see the franchise coming to life again but um and of course that opens the door for a good toy line because remember in the 80s the toys complemented the movie so that's a different let's see let's see what happens so you got to keep an open mind see what they're going to bring to the table but i agree with you stacy if they come up with uh garbage again you know let's see it's murky waters like you said
3: and there's also some hope because no writer is coming back. He had nothing to do with the second film. But he's coming back on this uh, in this third film. So there could be some hope there. It's kind of like with um, isn't uh, James Carpenter supposed to be coming back and doing the uh, which one is it? Is it the remake of A Nightmare on Elm Street that he's thinking about coming back to direct?
1: Oh, uh, you mean uh, John Carpenter? But uh,
3: yeah,
1: it was yes. Wes Craven who did uh, Nightmare on Elm I'm
3: sorry, no, we no, I'm sorry. We recently, well, some time ago, we talked about uh, John Carpenter and how he criticized um, Rob Zombie on his remake of uh, what what film did he remake? Oh,
1: Halloween, Halloween.
3: Halloween, okay, so it's Halloween that, are they thinking about doing another Halloween and John Carpenter coming back?
1: Right, exactly.
3: Now, it, see, there's some hope right there, right? Because the original, you know, director is coming back, so there's some hope he can get it back on track. Exactly. So the same thing kind of goes with Gremlins, you know, the original writer is coming back and, you know, there's some hope that, you know, it won't be ruined.
1: Yeah, yeah, th- there is that hope so because they're the they original creators and the writers and they put the original thought into it so yeah let, let's see let's see about this and it's still in the pre-production phases so it's all just talk right now maybe it would happen maybe it won't but you know just the thought of maybe reinvigorating that franchise perhaps it would perhaps let's see You just got to keep an open mind. I'm not going to give it a 100% negative on this one. (laughs) And speaking about reboots.
2: Another reboot.
1: Another reboot. This time. (laughs) This time from a a classic sci-fi story. And I'm talking about Doom.
0: Movies dune film and tv reboot a beginning is a very delicate time know then that it is the year
4: 10191 in this time the most precious substance in the universe is the spice melange the spice extends life the spice exists on only one planet in the
6: entire universe the planet is arrakis
1: Dune involves a. Dune has a plot that involves a lot of politics, religion, and man versus man literary conflict. And for a young man uh, watching this film, it was very difficult to follow what was going on on screen. But I do admit that the sci fi effects, the elements, and the visuals really captivated me. And then when I became older, I had the opportunity to watch Dune again and I got a better interest of it. And according to the press release issued earlier this week, Legendary Films and Frank Herbert Estate reached an agreement with Legendary Films open to creating movies and television motion pictures. What this means is that Legendary has the right to make movies feature films and also to accompany these films are television made for television series which is great because the storyline for Dune is very open Uh, this there's a lot of conflict going on between rival families and the resources that they want to uh, um, to take for their own personal gain and Dune uh, the synopsis provided in the uh, press release reads as follows set in the distant future Dune tells the story of Paul Atreides, whose family accepts control of the desert planet Arrakis as the only producer of a highly valuable resource control of Arrakis is highly contested about the noble families after Paul and his family are betrayed The story explores themes of politics, religion, and man's relationship to nature as Paul leads a rebellion to restore his family's control of Arrakis. As I mentioned before, Dune released in 1984, and the director was David Lynch. David Lynch is a very popular actor, not only among horror enthusiasts, but for experimental uh, uh, enthusiasts as well. And his vision is very evident in the 1984 release of dune and of course the film is based on the novel written by frank herbert um Inid, are you familiar with the film dune released in
2: 1984 you mean Morty? yeah i'm very familiar with dune
1: <gasps> you're familiar with dune yes Wow. And
2: the fact that he was the only man that was allowed to take the power that only the woman possesses. Wow. Oh. Oh, you impressed me. Oh. Exactly. That was one of my favorite movies.
1: Nice. You, you surprised me there. I thought you were going to say no. <laughs> ha,
2: ha, ha, ha. No, not really. I've seen that many times
1: great movie right
2: yes definitely i agree it's a very good movie i hope they do good
1: yes especially legendary films tv and movies i think this is gonna be a very good franchise
2: yeah that's why he was called Modi.
1: ah stacy your turn have you seen doom
3: well i don't know if i'm going to surprise or shock you guys but i've never seen or heard of doom (laughs) <laughs> ah surprise! <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, no, I've never seen or heard of it. Um, but one name that definitely sticks out is David Lynch, and I'm definitely well familiar with Mr. David Lynch.
1: <laughs> yeah, doing put that one Another
2: at- movie to your <laughs> to your add-on list. Oh definitely. No, but this one is pretty good. You get involved with it.
1: Right. See, Dune is not not like an action. It is action, but it's more like political. Mm -hmm. It's more like uh, instead of the lightsabers, you have people who are actually trying to take control of lands and the devious ways that they go about doing it. It's interesting.
2: Yeah, and that's why he became the way he became to be the master.
0: Events, Wild Women of Planet Wongo
5: What is Wild Women of Planet Wongo? It's an immersive musical comedy where you get to be part of the fun. Follow the zany adventures of two lost astronauts that crash on a planet of beautiful Amazonian women who've never seen men. Dancing, singing, games, prizes, and wicked green cocktails await you at the Parkside Lounge on the Lower East Side. Now on weekends, it's a Wongo Wooow!
2: The Wild Woman of Planet Wango. This show is a sci-fi comedy musical show. We got there, the staff was very nice and the show started on time. The actors and actresses, actresses did an awesome job and congratulations to the producer for putting together a great show. The Wild women of Planet Wango are very possessive with their male figures. And when two astronauts crashed into their planet, they went wild. I don't want to give too many details because this show is a must-go. They're performing at the Parkside Lounge and is located at 317 Houston Street. And the Wild Woman of Planet Wango will be playing at this location until March 18,
1: 2017. That's very that's a very good show. The Wild Women of Planet Wango. Uh, when I saw the title I knew what I was getting myself into because I'm familiar with the old 50s sci-fi very campy. Uh, the b- bad uh, effects and everything but knowing it, it was going to be live in a musical there wasn't going to be all the special effects and stuff going on but let me tell you the the location it, it threw me off because it's at the Parkside Lounge and it's a bar and they have the pool table they'll have the bar and then you go to the room in the back and it's this nice uh, uh, accommodating room that hau- the f- house is about what s- um, 70 people 80 people
2: it's a totally different ambient than when you walk in
1: right yeah so in the back you have this beautiful layout tv monitors and the the wild women of planet wango is an immersive experience uh, that means that the play takes place not on the stage but around where e- th- where the patrons are at so there's a lot of interaction between the play and the performers. Uh, at one point, a uh, Chair was seized uh, to be part of the show. And the people had to move out of the way. That was very funny. And uh, the production was hilarious. It follows this, the for traditional format, act one, act two, and act three. Now, during these act, in between these acts are intermissions. And the intermissions, they have games that people could play and win prizes, which is great because it gives the p- uh, the patrons something to look forward to for the other intermission segment. And everything's comedy, uh, and also the free drink. What was that? That was a green. That was a crazy drink. That was
2: their special drink. It was kind of greenish. But don't let the color trick you because with the first sip, you was already drunk. (laughs) Oh my God, that was a very strong drink. It was good. It gets you popping. You know, it gets you ready for the show. Uh, Lots of laughs, lots of going around, lots of moving.
1: Yes, that's true. Everybody was engaged. Uh, there was a lot of laughs. Now, that drink, I think, is called the Wagotini. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but it I was. Think,
2: I think something was, like that. Waggotini, something yeah, like that. But it was that.
1: green, and I'm thinking this green is just gonna be no. But that thing, I'm not a drinker.
2: It had a good flavor. Yes, it
1: did. It had a very good flavor. But it was kind
2: of strong. It was strong. <laughs> yes, it
1: was strong. It really cleared up my nasal passages because it, it was snowing. Yesterday, Saturday, uh, the 7th of, septu- of January, uh, we went to the 7.30 show. And as I need mentioned, the show started on time, which is great. And the show lasts about uh, 90 minutes. And like I mentioned, uh, it follows the traditional three acts, act one, two, and three. And uh, congratulations to all the performers uh, who made the show uh, very engaging, very, uh, a very good comedy. Th- the musical pieces were, were great.
2: Their singing was great.
1: Yes, yes, the musical pieces. And what, they, what the, the music that they feature is has a familiar beat of old tunes. And so they're using the, the background songs with updated lyrics that correspond to the scenario. And w- what, you know what was also cool? how they interact with the tvs around them especially when the guy that he was using the restroom and you see the water coming out oh on the
2: yeah <laughs> that was funny that was really funny
1: yeah so we su- we highly advise you see uh this show is uh garnering uh t- attention uh at a steady pace and is through coverage such as hours on It'll give the opportunity for patrons to become familiar with the show and in turn the show could get popular. I spoke with the producer, his name is Dave Ogren, and may I add that Dave Ogren was very hospitable and we met uh, at the event and he really made us feel at home, uh, you know, made us feel uh, comfortable, but not only us because we were there with press uh, credentials. But we noticed that he walked around and he spoke with uh, the majority of the audiences before the show began and uh, he he made everybody feel welcome, feel at home and feel like uh, they're about to become part of the Wango family, which is A, this is great and B, this is rare because you don't actually see and especially with the small production. It's very good that you don't s- that you see this interaction between the production team and the audience. It makes us feel welcome, makes us feel at home, and you know, it's a it's a good embrace to see that. So, and uh, once again, uh, I spoke with Dave Agren, and he um, relayed some statements about how he would like to see uh, the Wild Women of Planet Wongo progress uh, as a production. Uh, his uh, aim his goal is to have a performance at Comic Con which is a, it's a very large feat and it's, it's a very ambitious feat and is through the support of the uh, people, the audience that would make a feat such as that achievable and what was that address again Enid?
2: 317 Hudson Houston, 317 Houston Street
1: Right, Houston, not Austin. Manhattan. Right. So yeah, so if you're in the New York Tri-State area, do stop by. The shows are seven thirty and
2: ten thirty is it? Yes.
1: Seven thirty, ten thirty. And to get tickets, you would need to go to <laughs> To get tickets to the Wild Women of Planet Wongo, go to www.planetwongo.com That is www.planetwongo.com And there you can get your tickets and show your support for this very immersive sci-fi comedy. Also, we had the opportunity to speak with the producer and several members of the cast. And here is a few sound bites uh, from our interview.
7: I'm Sarah Summerwell, and I'm playing one of the Wongettes. I auditioned back in August. I saw an audition notice on Playbill.com, and it was for strong character actresses who were preferably 5'10 and up for a new sci-fi musical comedy, and I auditioned, and it was really great. Um, Most of us have a theatrical background, so we're used to uh, improvised settings, and we're used to having to kind of roll with the punches, but definitely when the audience is a foot from your face versus a couple orchestra members away from you it's a new challenge of having to adjust and react in a way that is every performance it's different (laughs) so yeah i mean i would hope that aliens would be really pleased with our depiction of other life forms and strong females i'm i don't know how astronauts would feel but i think that aliens would feel great about it
0: hi my name's howie shawl and i play louis um i auditioned about two years ago uh, it's just that every every single show can be completely different. You don't know who's gonna. Uh, if the audience could say something. The audience could hand you a drink, and you know, and uh, so it's every single time it's completely different. And so it also means that as an actor, you have to be very aware.
8: Amanda Nicholas, I play Queen we- Queen Rita. <laughs> I'm drunk, not really. <laughs> uh, I definitely loved that they wanted tall women because that is very rare in musical theater. Oftentimes they want the women to be shorter than the men. And so obviously as all my castmates can attest to, being a tall woman in musical theaters is is a challenge. They don't often look for it. So uh, that was exciting. I also love sci-fi. I'm a super nerd. I love all things Doctor Who and Star Trek and been, you know, a couple musicals to that effect. Um, And I loved the comedy bit most of all. Well, Queen Rita is the stereotypical, you know, person, not even just woman, but person who thinks she knows everything and then has her entire world rocked uh, by some new information. And she actually goes through quite a journey. It's really, it's it's touching and moving is what it is. Preparation. (laughs) Uh, I just... I think about myself as if I were the most important person in the entire universe. And if I were that, how would I treat all of the lesser people in my life? (laughs) Which is horrible and so not who I am, but is so right for the character. (laughs) Which is why I bully everyone throughout the entire
9: performance. I'm Moriel Bahar. I'm one of the Wongettes, and I'm the dance captain. I saw the audition notice back in August, and uh, again, it said... um, tall women and and immediately i was i was drawn to that factor yeah i mean so many things can not even just go wrong but um again become complications like today the um with the snow everyone's snow boots was creating water on the stage and everything. And that wouldn't be a a thing in, you know, in in a normal proscenium stage where we don't have to walk where the audience members are walking. So, um, that's just like another thing that, for example, that we have to deal with, um, when the audience is just so close up to us. Um, you know, I think for my role, um, the preparation was really about, uh, feeling out the vibe of, um, the other the other girls who are playing the other three Wongettes. Sort of entered into the rehearsal process, and sort of we just kind of played off of each other and figured out what kind of personality each each uh, get was, and um and then we were able to create characters on that. And I think it has a lot to do with our dynamic as people as well, do not as actors, not just as our characters. Um, I would say probably seventy five percent is script, and then twenty five percent um is new every night. We I, actually, you know, it's new every night or you know, we find something that really works one performance and then we keep it for the rest of the performances. Um, but it's, I, I mean, that's this, the most fun aspect of it. Um, is that, you know, you never know what you're going to get given on a, 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 each night, you know, um, I think they might, you know, question our color scheme a little bit. It's just green and purple. And I'm, I'm hoping that there are other colors on alien life forms. Um, so I think that might be a question for them, but I hope that they would be proud of the way that we uh, handled a given situation. <laughs>
5: I'm, I'm Dave Ogre and I'm the, the I wrote the uh, music and the songs and uh producing this thing. I hope to reinvigorate the themes of 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 strong women. Y- yeah, well definitely. I mean that's a lot that's a lot of what we what we hope, but I mean it's also just making fun of of totalitarianism and authority and how silly all these rules are out there you know it's it's really about freedom and you know we we tried to you know i this this show takes a little bit of a journey sort of through the 50s into the 60s and kind of uh ends up uh becoming revolutionary as you see by the end of the show so we hope we hope we hope we spread that theme well this the, the the book writer is uh, Steve Mack, is, is uh really good at that kind of thing. I think he's he's a very funny guy. But we all really wanted to get a we we wanted we wanted people to walk away with this feeling like they they learned something about themselves, you know. And he's he he was able to very naturally fit comedy into it. Plus, it's such a silly premise that it's kind of hard not to laugh at it. <laughs> exactly. So exactly. <laughs> We we hope that Donald Trump will come see us, but if Donald, if you're out there, please come. Thing <laughs> right now, you know the it's you really can't get across the immersiveness of it unless it's live. You know I don't I don't know how to do that on video. I mean we may get to that point, but I you know there's certainly lots of videos of us on on Facebook and stuff like that. But um, I think people don't really understand what we are until they're in it and they see it and they're part of it and they dance with it and they drink with it and they're two feet two you know a foot away from the Juangets and you know really. You feel the vibe and it's it's so interesting too because people come in not knowing what to expect very often people are kind of fearful the first when they see it and then by the end of the show everybody's having a good time so <laughs> briefly wango has a history it, it, it's actually been around for a while and it was originally much more of a traditional musical where you sat in the audience and you watch it on stage uh and uh we've done it that's it's been done a number of times uh that way outside of new york um, but, uh, I've been very personally influenced by shows like Sleep No More and, you know, that kind of stuff. And, and when I saw those shows, I said, oh my gosh, Wongo could be that. So I went back to the people that I wrote the show with and we redesigned the show to be like this. Uh, so that it's completely immersive and, uh, you know, that it, it has, it has that kind of a feel. So, um, it's really taken quite, the show itself has taken quite a journey, but the interesting thing is that this, uh we've had you know there's a lot of technology in the show you can see there's TVs and video and you know and it takes a crew of people up there to make it work and a bunch of geniuses to get all those computers working properly sometimes they don't work properly and there's been a couple of times when we've had like a, we've had like video failure the, the cast is so good that they just cover over it and nobody ever knows, you know? So And they keep you laughing anyway, so that's what the improv part, exactly. Well, we've been actually here for three months. We've been playing at Parkside every Wednesday night. Uh, and we did so well that they decided to give us a weekend. So this is our first weekend. This is our opening weekend. Uh, we're playing th- three shows, uh, 8 o'clock on Friday and 7.30 and 10 on sat- and Saturday at P- Parkside Lounge. And you can buy tickets on www.planetwango.com. See all about us. but. Um, uh, but but we're going we give you a free drink which is cool everybody gets give, a free drink with it. With it. Get a free wangotini um, but uh, next you know I, we hope to be here really establish an audience we you know a lot of people don't know about us yet uh, we're just trying to get the word out as much as we can we like to build up a big big audience maybe tour the show someday you know we've hit a lot of comic cons we've been at a lot of comic cons so just like promoting the show and not performing the show I would love to perform the show at a comic con uh, I, I could see doing that you know running around a comic con you know
1: uh we received in our inbox a little gift from the wild women of planet wongo and it's the song titled manhunt and this is a song that they perform on the show so without further ado uh, we present this musical interlude and remember to get your tickets at planetwongo.com And i assure you that you're gonna have a blast make sure you have uh wangotini and uh, say hi to the cast and crew they are very friendly alien life forms the music is for manhunt is from dave ogren lyrics from ben budrick steve mackeys and dave ogren the vocalists for this track are rebecca burnell alicia dukes jenna Marcello, Zara Shear. Once again, this is the song Manhunt from the immersive sci fi comedy Wild Women of Planet Bongo. Stacy, What do you think about my movie? Uh, well, <laughs> um
3: I've never heard of that either, but I would tell you one thing. That title is awesome. Yeah, they that are, title is awesome. They are pretty
2: wild indeed.
1: Yeah, this it's based off of the 1958 film in mm-hmm. which the the, the women okay this is another interesting aspect of the play the actresses are tall they are yes. like five ten and up
2: everyone is oh, tall
1: yeah they're tall and I was looking at them and I looked at each of their um, uh, footwear I'm like they're wearing heels they're taller than me <laughs> but they are tall uh, on top of the heels and in this planet there's no men on the planet wongo so these two astronauts crash on the planet and they become the target for their lust
2: more like they're hunting
1: there you go see we're not gonna give it away this is something you gotta watch
2: that's it we ain't gonna say no. nothing more let's just go and watch the wild woman of planet Wango.
1: Yes, it was a very great experience. I cannot elaborate. It was very funny. I loved every minute of it. Very I good. cracked
2: up from beginning to end.
1: Yes. And stay tuned. Uh we're gonna feature some exclusive pictures of the event uh, on our website at dkmag.com. That is d e-c-a-y-m-a-g.com. And we also gonna provide a link where you could get tickets to planet wango. Website uh, with the accompanying article to this podcast. So log on to DK Mag, look for Wild Women of Planet Wongo podcast, and uh, you could get tickets, see a uh, trailer, and some exclusive pictures of this from this event. And many thanks to the producer um, who went all out of his way to invite us to cover his event it was an amazing event and I'm speaking with uh, Dave Ogren producer from Planet Wongo. so thank you so much for hosting the show for inviting us uh, it was a pleasure we loved it and we're going to invite our friends to watch
2: definitely I will recommend this show to my friends
1: and the, fri- the show is kid friendly so even though there's like sexual innuendos stuff going on it's not in your face very vogue no it's very it's very uh good comedy good humor sci-fi so if you like the retro uh sci-fi and comedy and musicals yeah you're gonna love this show and if you like strong drinks you definitely gonna have to try the wangotini.
2: oh yeah definitely try the one
1: yeah don't let the green color fool you
2: no
0: Movie trailers, the ice cream truck.
9: Knock, knock. Anyone home? Hi, I'm Mary.
5: It's nice to have some new blood on the block.
2: These bitches are a handful.
9: Hi. Can't wait to see you. Your husband coming soon? Not soon enough. Two more days to get into trouble.
4: I heard you needed yard work.
9: <sighs> Did you know that we have an ice cream, man?
7: So creepy.
6: Good evening, young lady. What'll it be?
3: The ice cream truck? is in post-production and will be releasing this year. It will be a comedy horror mystery directed by, directed and written by Megan Frills Johnson, Johnston, produced by Look At Me Films. The main cast will star Deanna Russo and Emil Johnson. The synopsis. Mary's husband gets relocated for work, which allows her to move back to her suburban hometown. As her family ties up loose ends back home, Mary moves into the new house all alone and waits. Although her familiar suburb is a constant reminder of her youth, something seems strange. A local ice cream man with a love of nostalgia turns starts to kill some of her neighbors. Mary is torn between her mature instincts that something is wrong and the distracting memories of her younger days. The trailer plays like a drama slasher thriller. A strange man posing as an ice cream man and driving an ice cream truck holds a dark secret. He has a neck for murder and begins terrorizing the quiet suburban neighborhood. The ice cream man has that charming but mysterious personality and demeanor. He's the guy you never expect to be the bad guy. The friendly, creepy neighbor who lives down the street. The trailer, although suspenseful, has a slow vibe to it. While watching it, I felt like it would be one of those films that take a while to get to the point or it will linger in unnecessary areas. On the other hand, the trailer holds simplicity while being intense. What do you guys think?
1: Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a page out of your book, Stacy, and I'm gonna say I have not seen the trailer to the ice cream truck.
2: Me either. And no,
1: n- <laughs> nope. No.
2: Yes! Finally!
1: Yes! (laughs) I, um, I have no excuse for not seeing the trailer because usually when the trailers come into my inbox or in my news feeds, I catch a glimpse of it. But I don't know. For some reason, it didn't catch my attention the way it should. And I overlooked it. So... Not an excuse. It sounds like an excuse. What I'm gonna say it's not an excuse, but I haven't watched it. So Go Stacey, ahead. that's excuse, all
3: away. You... excuse away.
2: Excuse
3: <laughs> away. Well, um, <laughs> well, the trailer, it, um, let's see. The trailer was very suspenseful. It was, it was pretty intense. Um, I don't know if you guys ever seen, say, like one-hour photo with um,
1: Robin um, Williams.
3: Robin Williams, you know how that was very slow, but it was very suspenseful and it was creepy at the same time
1: Right
3: So the trailer kind of reminds me something is that it's slowly progressing But it's creepy like this guy this bad guy. He's very creepy He's that one neighbor that always smiles at you always waves at you, you know, always compliments you and everything but he has this creep creepy personality about him as well and he's the guy that you really really would not suspect to be you know what i'm saying the killer so when you find out it was him you're just like what no seriously Hmm. he he mows my lawn (laughs) like
1: you know Uh so it's one of those deep thought-provoking thrillers
3: yes definitely
1: hmm okay i'll 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 take a look at the trailer and and see if i weigh in my opinion for next time next time i don't know more news is going to surface because they're still in production correct
3: uh yes i believe uh this film does not yet have a release date or an official release date or anything still in production
1: Good. So next time we cover it, uh, we gotta weigh in our opinion. More uh, educated. The uh, yeah, like I said, I haven't seen the trailer.
0: Exclusive interview: Devin Goodsell, actor-producer for Bornless Ones. I'm just not sure I'm doing the right thing.
4: Of course you are. We're gonna get through this together.
0: You promise. Two. Three. We got some fresh
1: air. We got some cold beer. You know, I feel like we're gonna like this place. It is time for a toast. To this house and to you guys, my friends. Aww. What the f- On the 10th of January, Tuesday, 2017, I had the pleasure of interviewing Mr. Devin Goodsell and Mr. Goodsell stars and produces the upcoming supernatural horror thriller Bornless Ones. Bornless Ones will release on video on demand on 10th of February 2017 and the film delves on the demonic themes uh, possession but there is more to the story. Bec- the, f- the feature has characters with in-depth uh, backstory. And the demons themselves are very interesting entities. In that they feed off of uh, humans with weak conditions. And uh, in that I'm talking about uh, f- physical uh, incapabilities. Uh, not to give anything away from the story and the the plot. We feature a film review for bonus ones, and to read it, uh, head on over to dkmag.com, that is d-e-c-a-y-m-h-e.com where I provide a honest feedback for the film. It's a film that may appeal to some and may not appeal to others. It depends on your uh, perspective on supernatural themes now the for horror enthusiasts bornless ones uh, parallels one cult classic film in particular I'm not gonna give the name so check out the film and get voice to your opinion head on over to DK mag and tell us what you think of the film but in our interview with David Goodsell Uh, He provides some very in-depth information on the production, on the characters, and on these very sinister demonic entities that make uh, life and death uh, impossible for the inhabitants of a very spooky looking uh, cabin house, which surprisingly is located in Los Angeles. Uh, given the setting of the film, you would think it's in the outback of uh, Maine or someplace. Uh, so without further ado, I present uh, my interview with Mr. Goodsell. I'm going to start by giving a brief introduction. My name is Ken Artuz, founder an editor for DKMag.com and joining me today is actor-producer Devin Goodsell. Mr. Goodsell stars and produces the upcoming horror film, Born This Once, slated for release in February. Thank you for joining me, uh, Mr. Goodsell.
4: Hey, thank you for uh, having me on the show.
1: Great, thank you. And Happy New Year, by the
4: way. Hey, Happy New Year.
1: I'm going to start with my first question. And uh, what a film. I've seen the film Bornless Ones. I've got to tell you what a film that was. <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, Bornless Ones is, what were your thoughts when you read the script
4: and had to reenact those ideas on camera? Um, well, I mean, obviously, it, it, since you've seen the film, you're aware that my character takes a whole lot of damage in the film, which is a lot of fun. Um, the, the I mean the first thing is is actually uh, Alex and I, uh, which is the director of the film, uh, got together early on. Um, so I also uh, helped produce the, the the film, and so uh, we we worked out a lot of the script details together and had a lot of fun with that. Um, and Jesse was um, a bit crafted around me, um, and so I I was kind of in the development process with Alex when he was he was drafting this character. Um, of course. He also had the fun thing about wanting to do uh, put me through hell as an actor uh, in regards to all the stuff that happens to Jesse. Uh, so that that was that was a bit of a trying thing, especially with a uh, with with the puncture to the face. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I had a lot of fun with it. Now, that's what was my uh, first thought was, man, this guy just takes a lot of uh, a lot of damage in this film.
1: Yeah, that was a very that's a very interesting highlight of the film the the gore factor.
4: Yeah, it, it was a lot of fun though. I mean obviously there there were days where uh where you want to uh, get out of the blood costumes. Uh <laughs> but uh it, the funny thing is actually when you're when you're wearing this stuff it gets um it gets pretty crusty and old and due to continuity you have to actually keep it. Uh so people are going around spraying you with spray bottles of water to try to keep this stuff uh looking moist and, and, and fresh. Uh but man it's it's gross wearing that stuff day after day. <laughs> well that, that
1: ties into my next question. Bornless Ones looks to be your first true horror film according to your INDB. Uh, yeah, that's how did the experience differ from other projects you worked on?
4: Um, you know I, I, as an actor you you work on these projects and you you get yourself under these imaginary circumstances that are that are extreme in either case and so I, I what I tried to do was just pull the most realistic aspect of it out. You know, I mean, if, if, if you know, this this guy was in this situation, what would he do? How would he process it? How would he make sense of it? And, you know, I I think it's one of those things where naturally every one of us would just be like, this no, this, this can't be happening or this doesn't make any sense or, you know, any of this, any type of uh, circumstances were, that were dictated by the script, just try to live that as realistically as possible. Um, and then, I mean, naturally, being in the house and and being in this environment, you know, you just kind of succumb to to these uh, these circumstances, and it, it it just helps you play with it and have fun with it, and uh, and naturally, just uh just just be scared or 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 whatever the emotion is that might come up.
1: And speaking of the house, uh, this was filmed on location in a in a private house.
4: Uh yeah that's correct. So we found this uh this really cool house uh that that had this log cabin look to it and um you know it's funny too, because when we were uh shooting there uh, people actually didn't want to stay at night. I think the only person who stayed at night was our our line producer uh, in the house but but it, it started to freak out people just because of all the the stuff that we were that we were shooting there um but yeah it was it was a very cool place yeah that
1: place i I love the vibe to it the 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 setting the backdrop. It looked straight out
4: of uh, Amityville or something like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it, it was cool, too, because it kind of also gave that, that secluded look, and we were we were fortunate to find something that was still pretty close to Los Angeles, but um, but had that secluded feel and, you know, and, and, and the pine trees and, and that mountain look. Oh, wow, that
1: was in L.A., wow. I would I would never have thought I, it looks someplace okay. out of Maine or something like
4: that. Yes. Yeah. yeah, it was actually it was actually only uh, I think it was like an hour and a half uh, north of Los Angeles.
1: Cool. And uh, horror films are notorious. You mentioned about being in uh, in costume and horror films are notorious for physically intense scenes. What were some of the moments that had you thinking, what am I doing at this? <laughs> <laughs>
4: Um, I, the the natural moment that comes up is you know uh, wearing the it's the, the prosthetic uh, eyepiece and with the protruding needle out of it. Um, that that's that that was that thing where it almost it it literally freaked me out to have that thing on because I mean I had this 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 needle that really if anyone bumped into me it could actually damage you know my my eye in real in real life, and so that 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 was one of the moments where I was just walking around with this thing on and 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 trying to to be careful, <laughs> trying to eat food, you know, because you're sitting in this costume for, you know, or this prosthetic for, you know, seven, eight hours. Um, but yeah, I would say that was the most challenging aspect and having, you know, one eye shut for such a long period of time. And there was actually also another scene, um, which I don't know if it really comes up. Uh, it's not too visible, but I actually have both eyes completely covered, which was quite interesting too.
1: Wow yeah let me tell you though to be in a prosthetic that's that that takes patience because after a while you just want to get out of it (laughs) yeah
4: yeah yeah yeah, absolutely and i i actually wore the 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 eyepieces for i think it was about uh five or six days so so it was a good chunk of the shooting time because i we, we shot in total 21 days oh
1: wow that's that's pretty
4: good pretty
1: good yeah and um you you produce and also star in the film. Uh, how so? You were part of the film process, pre-production since the since the onset.
4: Yeah, that's correct. So, um, how this how this film kind of came to be was uh, was I, I met Alex uh, about a year and a half uh, prior, uh, working with him as an actor uh, on one of his short films uh, when he was a student, and uh, I. He he just kind of blew me away as a director, and when I saw his finished project, it was it was quite great, and he really had an eye for horror. So I just thought to myself that you know if there ever were a case where I ever made a horror film, then he would be the guy to to turn to. And um, I found uh, like I think it was about a year a year or so later, uh, another buddy of mine was talking about you know using a house to shoot a film or to shoot a film, and I thought okay, well if it's a single house, uh, what what better than for a horror film? And I immediately thought of Alex. So I introduced everyone and um and started getting it rolling. Uh the house with the other buddy never actually panned out. It was an entirely different house that we shot at. But um I told Alex that, that day that if he if he wrote the script, you know, I'd produce it. And uh he, he held me to it. I think within a week he had ten pages, which was the the uh, grabber sequence and it it I I was just excited 'cause it just it reminded me of all the great things of, you know, nineties horror. Um, you know, and it it just it, it was just a, a very cool opening sequence, and I just kept pushing them to continue writing it, and we kind of worked it out uh, past that point.
1: Cool. Well, I'm glad that you mentioned the uh, the, the nostalgic factor. Uh, Share, in your opinion, the defining elements of Bornless Ones that sets this film apart from the classics.
4: Yeah, yeah. And I mean, obviously, it's, it's also being heavily related to uh, Evil Dead as well. Um, in which case it, it rightfully is there there is aspects of it that are that are very similar but I think we we also have a good twist on the story that is that is very much its own its own story at the same time um and that 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 was uh, some of the inspiration we wanted to have you know that that fun possession feel we also wanted to have some fun in the film and not necessarily just make it pure horror because if you watching, an, you know, like the older older horror piece, you know, there is a there is elements of comedy in the nature of it. You know, not necessarily trying to be funny, but the nature of it is funny in itself. And um, every time we we've screened it, we've had a bunch of people who who have enjoyed it from that level as well, which which excites us because that was kind of our we we were looking for a certain camp factor to it as well. All right,
1: you're absolutely right. And I've heard uh, from the interviews that I've had in the past it's always good to have that comedic element just so people don't get oversaturated with the violence
4: part. Yeah, yeah, and at some point, I mean, it, it, these are these are imaginary circumstances and, you know, I mean, you just have to go, you know, I mean, for example, Jesse goes through hell. There's no way this guy could could, could go through that in real life, but you, you watch it because it's a story, it's a movie, you know, and that's the fun element of it.
1: Yeah. And let me tell you, that was, everybody went through. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And I wasn't expecting it to, to go to that level. Let me tell you, I I thought it was going to be a a slow boiler, but it just turned from zero to a hundred and 2.3 seconds.
4: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that, that was, that was what was really fun with it is I think the pacing really worked out, you know, you have this story that's introduced and, and these people, you know, move along, and then, then all of a sudden, you know, shit hits the fan, and it goes very quickly from there on, and, and people take a lot of damage very quickly, and, you know, it's it's very intense, and 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 in that, I think he was kind of using the more modern version of Evil Dead where, you know, it's just very an intense factor, and you're just always having things happen to these people that you're just watching it never really gives you a moment to go well what about this what about that you're just watching it you know and i, I that that's the fun aspect of it um but there's there's also other films that, that inspired the film um and alex can obviously always discuss more on this but i know the shining was was a huge element because it's one of his uh, favorites and just the the aspect of of demons playing with you um whether or not it's your own internal demons or external demons you know it's like this this uh this aspect of being played with and and being toyed with in the mind, and I know that was also a huge uh, uh, takeaway. So,
1: thank you. And um, bornless ones uh, from an analytical approach, it has a message of remorsefulness that borders borders borderline helplessness, but it's geared towards a relative with a terminal illness or physical impairment. Do you believe there was some uh underlying subtext deeper meaning to the narrative
4: yeah uh, absolutely and this is also another very cool thing about the film is it it tries to actually you know have a little psychological play on it and you know have some meaning and and substance to it other than just people getting attacked and it it has this character who um his name's Zach, and he has cerebral palsy and if you're familiar with the disease, he has a really intense version of it. But cerebral palsy is basically an inability to control one's own muscles. Uh, however, they're 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 smart. They understand what's going on. They just can't interact with the world. Um, and so Zach actually doesn't. He, it's not his intention to to wreak havoc on anyone. It's his intention just to try to be normal. And that that's. That's really the the pull and take from it is he's he's wanting to be normal, but he's making this bargain with demons essentially to to uh, to change that out you know and and it it just goes horribly wrong but um the the catalyst for it is it in in one interesting statement is the fact that he his mother has passed away and he was in the car with her you know when when this happened and since he was handicapped. He couldn't do anything. All he could do was just watch it happen. And and that type of you know psychological turmoil that that might come of that is just it's really really in, in impacting and and kind of on, on a very deep level of of what that would feel.
1: Yeah, I did notice that the characters were designed. They weren't one dimensional. Each of them had a multi layered backstory. Uh, case in point. Uh, one of the female characters, uh, she's pregnant, and she has a very intriguing backstory behind that pregnancy.
4: Yeah, yeah, and and that's also the, the fun of it. So there there is a game that, that exists, and I don't know how well it came out uh, through the end concept of, of the film, but the idea is these, these demons essentially are very similar to Zach, and that's the fact that they can see the world, but they can't necessarily interact with it. Um, and and that's and they can't interact with with these people unless they invite them in. And so if you notice each person essentially ends up getting seriously hurt before they they actually become uh possessed. And the the whole idea is um they actually can't become possessed until they make a a bargain with with the demons uh to try to heal them. And so and that's the only way that that these demons can exist within them. Um, so each one of these these characters essentially gets to that point and um have have that circumstance happen to them but in order to get there, they have to utilize fears that have existed in their life um and, and most likely are indeed the starkest fears and that's that's what they use to to hurt themselves or to try to persuade them to to commit suicide or whatever it might be um in order to get them to the, uh, in order for the demons to get these characters to a point of where they can enter their body
1: that is very deep and it does reflect uh these the demons sound like a metaphor for you know what people go through in real life
4: yeah and actually it's um so, so the original the original title of the film actually was called goetia and um it's it's based and the goetia is, is a real life uh thing it's based on these 72 different demons that exist and it was a book written by king solomon um end of a long while ago, and so these and when I was researching it and looking at it, it seems like these seventy two demons are actually just seventy two elements of the human psyche to some degree um and with that being said it, it very much is that that psychological uh play where you have these 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 inner demons with inside you that are always wanting to come out. You know, and and you're always trying to suppress them and and prevent them from happening. And so uh, that's <laughs> it's it's all it's all connected, um, and it's hard to to show that showcase all of this in a hundred you know minutes. But <laughs> we we did our best. Or sorry, one hundred and twenty minutes.
1: Uh so that would ex- okay. The uh, the light bulb just went in my head. Um, uh, when people see the movie and they uh, the characters engage in their own personal
4: research. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Each 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 one of these characters have have their own you know set of demons that are that are controlling them.
1: Ah, <laughs> uh-huh, very intriguing. Um so the question remains a uh, bornless ones how did
4: that title come about? Um well in in short, our our sales agent actually didn't like the title Goetia, <laughs> so <laughs> and and we actually had a problem with Goetia too because it's spelled G O E T I A, um, in which case we had to just decide how to pronounce it. Cause there actually is two different pronunciations: one being Goetia, and the other Goetia. Um, and so well, he said it was too difficult to to try to get people to pronounce it, and it, it would just become complex. So. Uh, bornless Ones is actually those demons, those 72 demons that were never born that were that are essentially in this kind of middle land um, That want to interact with the world and can um, And they they are also uh, described in this book um, the Goetia and so the, those are the names of the 72 different demons or as as a whole is the Bornless Ones
1: Intriguing
4: intriguing uh,
1: So the part of your research also uh is reflected in the film with the symbolisms that were carved throughout the house are these actual yeah.
4: symbols those are actual symbols uh yeah uh, we it it, it uh, and actually each one does does cater to the elements of of healing and has had some some uh symbology to it um and the names that we actually give out for them are the accurate names as well
1: I mean, that would explain why nobody wanted to sleep in the house.
4: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, there, there, there's, there have been people who read it, and they're just like, you can't, you can't use this stuff. And you know, I mean, it, it's a horror film, and it's mythology, and uh, we we really wanted to kind of take it on that that line of of bordering, you know, scariness. Um, and I feel like if you just create everything fictitiously, then you then it doesn't really go there. So. It, it adds a little bit of a dimension to it, to the film, I think.
1: Exactly. And especially, you know, for people who, who are very uh, analytical and they look for these little precise details and they go, hey, this is not true. But a very
4: interesting fact, of uh, with, the, with these demons and the whole concept. And um, I mean, I, mm-hmm. I, I wish it was well, all, you know, I mean, obviously we had to fictionalize certain aspects of it, so it's not a pure, you know, uh, takeaway from it, but. But we' did try to root it in as much substance as we could
1: and um the character you portrayed jesse uh how can you sum up this uh this character and how do you relate to him in a, in a real life scenario
4: um jesse i mean jesse's a very very analytical character um and he's 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 a he's a bit uh in his own head uh a lot of the movie he's he's constantly trying to do do good with his his uh his fiance and with with her circumstance and you know and and relate to these things and and I, I i mean naturally i'm i'm a very analytical person as well um and so so that was that was easy on that front um i think i think the uh the dimensions that i had to adapt to were um the relationship with with uh with emily and the relationship with the brother, and the relationship of of actually giving up everything uh, to to move out into somewhere I don't I'm not too familiar with um, for 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 these two people, and and then also just the the, the natural elements of, of that relationship with, with uh, Emily uh, being that it's it's in turmoil, you know they they're not exactly happy at this point in time. Um, so those were those were the natural elements, and then obviously the once once the the possessions and everything happened, that that was its own research, which was a lot of fun. Um, but uh, it's like a essentially like in in my mind, I I felt like these the, the the demons were were almost sociopathic. They were very much guarded, you know, very much looking for their own benefit and not really considering empathy for others. And so with that, I used a lot of, I, I watched, you know, YouTube videos of sociopaths and found all kinds of fascinating things um, where where these people would find humor uh, in circumstances that were just very, very dark. And it almost became funny because of the fact that they had humor in it, even though it was such a so gruesome. <laughs> um, and in which case it was a trait I, I thought would be very, very intriguing for for that the, the switch
1: yes and that's a very interesting that type of demeanor has a very uh deep impact psychologically because you say, this guy is really nuts you can't find no laughter in what in what this guy is doing
4: yeah yeah i mean he's he's an entire and that was that was also the the piece that was a lot of fun is you know i mean if you could do anything, if you knew potentially the secrets of this person or you could toy with people, you know, because you knew the the issues in the relationship or anything of that sort, what would you do to get what you wanted? And if the, you are sociopathic, you'll use everything you possibly can at your arsenal, you know, and and that's that's what I really saw in, in the, the the videos I saw of some of the sociopaths I, I, I watched. Um, and, and that, yeah, that that was the fun, I guess, in a way. <laughs>
1: and um boneless ones is gonna release uh next month on the tenth of february um yeah. any plans to continue uh making another horror film or venturing into it
4: yeah, yeah um so I mean obviously boneless ones was Alex and uh and myself's uh first first feature length film, and I think it's doing pretty well in all honesty so we we have plans essentially to try and uh, produce uh, at least one movie uh, a year going forward, um, and right now we're looking at a it, it's more in the vein of suspense, rather than than pure you know gore horror, uh, uh, but it, essentially it's a film um, that will that will take place with a woman who has been abducted and for for the majority of the film she's actually existing in a in a trunk where her captor is is driving her, um, so that that's. Going to be a lot of fun. Um, we're just finalizing the details for that to hopefully get that that started. And then we have a couple other projects that are going to be in in the realm of kind of like a dark sci-fi um, dealing with with uh, with artificial intelligence. Yeah,
1: uh, I'm looking forward to that one. Artificial intelligence is
4: is a big topic right now. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's it's almost like the '70s rehashed, you know. I mean, because because artificial intelligence went away for about thirty years, you know, it came it, it kind of. When it's uh it's uh, reclusion or whatever, but uh, yeah, it's coming back and it's strong and it will be a lot of fun to uh, to play with those stories.
1: Great. Great, thank you. Looking forward to those. And the platform is open. Uh, if you care to share some social networks or any additional information on Bornless Ones.
4: Sure. Yeah. Um. I mean, if people are are interested in the film, I'd say follow us on on Facebook or on Twitter. Um, our handle on those are is just simply Bornless Ones. Uh, all one word. And uh, yeah, and we're still very easily contactable, so if anyone wants to reach out to us, we're always happy to answer questions. And uh, I guess my personal uh, Twitter and Facebook and all that is just Devin Goodsell, That's it's just my name, uh, all one word as well.
1: Great. Thank you so much. And uh, once again, uh, thank you for your time and this very thorough um, um, analysis of the backstories and the demons, uh, our listeners would definitely appreciate the, uh, the concept that went into this film.
4: Very, very cool. Very cool. Thank you. I mean, I, I actually did uh, read your, uh, your review that, uh, DK did put up too. Cool. <laughs> and I know I that, that you, you were a little harsh on us.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I am, uh, <laughs> but see, I'm, um, how can I explain? I <laughs> I see it from a from a different perspective sure. that um, the originality factor because I've seen a lot of elements of the Evil Dead within the film so I was yeah. taken aback by it but at the same time what intrigued me were the demonic elements the the in depth characters and also the the practical effects because I'm a big uh, fan of depends on practical effects instead of CGI. Oh yeah. So, so are we. Yeah, I I love that part. So when I when I conduct the review, I I provide you know the honest
4: feedback. And no, we 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 appreciate it. I was just giving you a hard time. Uh no, In in no. in honesty. <laughs> but but yeah, no, I mean we we honestly appreciate uh, very critical feedback because I mean how else are you supposed to grow and and, and make better films? So thank you for that. But I just wanted to to call you out and see what you would say. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm always prepared to uh, to give my my
1: my version because I know, and I, from the people that I've spoken with in the past, that you know that question has come up, and they always say, you know what, you know that that's a very good. You have to take the feedback and and help grow, and that provides a better a better uh, film for the next project. And, uh, exactly, that's 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 a good thing that absorbing the feedback in a very creative way
4: yeah no i i couldn't agree more I'm, I'm in the learning process of that too <laughs> <laughs> good good we can all work together and continue to better ourselves exactly exactly It's part of learning yep
1: and uh thank you very much once again for your time my name is ken artuz uh founder and editor for dkmag
0: television
1: the magicians season 2 the magicians season 2 is going to start in a couple of weeks the much anticipated sci-fi series started out very quietly because at that time when the magicians first appeared on sci-fi it was part of a slate of new upcoming shows now, while one show in particular didn't make it to season two, the magicians did. And personally, it caught me off the because I had the uh, thought that it was a very uh, adult-oriented Harry Potter. So with that in mind, it turned me off. But after watching the pilot episode, I was engrossed. It was, had a very good plot. The Magicians is a fantasy theme series and it focuses on magic and as the primary element and these kids that are not kids but there's young adults are going to school uh, to learn magic and of course there's good magic and there's bad magic. So the conflict here is good versus evil, the old classic conflict. So season, season one ended in a very intriguing cliffhanger. And for those who haven't seen season one, I highly suggest to get involved with the film, with the series, excuse me. And because season two is about to begin in a couple of weeks, January 25th. And let me tell you, we were fortunate enough to have access to the first Four episodes for season two, and we have exclusive photos which will all be released on Monday, the 9th of January 2017. So tune into DKMAG.com, D-E-C-A-Y-M-A-G.com and check out the photos, the exclusive photos, and we cannot give away anything from season two because that's going to spoil it for everybody but I'm going to provide an overview on what to expect on this season and this season is very intriguing season 2 starts off action packed and there's a lot of subtext going on with the magicians for season 2 and it involves uh, just touching base it involves teamwork and knowing your inner self and appreciating others. So there's a lot of subtext going on that they hide, you know, within the theme of each episode. Episode <clears throat> Episode 1 for season 2 is called The Knights of Crowns. Episode 2 is titled Hotel Spa Por- po- Potions. Episode 3 is called Divine Elimination. And episode four is called The Flying Forest. Episode four, let me tell you, when it finished, I can't wait. So this is the torture that I have with myself since seeing the first four episodes. I can't wait for the fifth episode to arrive and that won't happen until a month from now, or maybe more. So the characters for the magicians, for those who do not know, or those who know and need a refresher, the series is divided into three areas, three settings. New York, the school that is called Break Bills, and an imaginary forest type dimension, another world called Fillery. Now the characters from New York are Julian, Marina, and Richard. And in Breakbills is Penny, Quentin, Alice, Margot, Katie, Dean Fogg, and Elliot. And in Fillory these are a new slate of characters. Uh, the most threatening one is called the Beast. And then you have Ember and you have Fen. So these make up the characters for season 2. And once again tune into DKMag.com for an overview for season 2. need, you have seen The Magicians, uh, what are your thoughts on that TV show?
2: Pretty good, pretty sci fi futuristic at times, I like it.
1: You sure you watching watching uh, The Magicians and not The Expanse?
2: <laughs> ha 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 ha, no, they do a lot of magic, I do like the show. I didn't, I wasn't into it as much as you was, but I glanced at it when you watched it.
1: Yeah, like I said, it it, it kind of turned me off with the whole magic, Harry Potter thing, but it it does. This is definitely not Harry Potter. This is a totally different world and very adult-oriented. Uh, Stacy, have you seen the magicians?
3: No. <laughs> <laughs> Another one on the list. Yeah. Yes. Another one, another. and honestly, every time I hear the Magicians, I keep getting it mistaken for the um the librarians. So <laughs> yeah, they
2: have something called the librarians.
1: Yeah, same thing with magic, okay. and a bunch of guys they protecting books, right? And...
3: Oh, wow. Yes. Yeah. Books. Yeah, like uh, books and uh, precious artifacts.
2: Wow.
1: Yeah, kind of like that old Friday the 13th episodes.
2: Wow. That's all I have to say. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so,
1: yeah. Stacey, put that on your list, too.
3: I the, know. The oh magician. I got so much on my list. Man, why do you say I'm going to get caught up?
1: I don't know. You're, that list keeps growing. Every podcast, keeps, we keep adding more th- things for you to watch. <laughs> no, but uh, The Magician Season 2, uh, we're going to have some exclusive coverage coming Monday, uh, the 9th of January. And like I said, we're not going to delve into no plots or g- reveal anything. Uh, that is crucial. A lot of people work hard to put this out there uh S- but we are going to provide an overview of each episode uh the underlying themes in my opinion of what they were and how it constitutes to the to the to the plot
2: yeah if let's not give too much to the public
1: well we can't that's illegal I, I exactly think we'll get arrested
2: exactly
1: they'll, they'll revoke our passports
2: all right so we're done we're done with the magicians. No more. Talking about the magicians.
0: Television, Castlevania cartoon rumors.
3: Rumors of a Castlevania cartoon series has been in circulation for years. The video game was first released in 1986 by Konami. The plans for a feature film adaptation has been in the works for a number of years with Paul W.S. Anderson taking over the project before giving it to Sylvian White, then later James Wan. Unfortunately, plans for this fell through. Adi Shankar pitched the plans for for an animated series and this has been in circulation since 2015. But not much has come of that either. In this latest update, things are beginning to look up for this project. Fred Siebert of Federator Studios has announced late in 2016 that he's working on a project of one of the most world-famous video video games of the last 30 years, quote unquote. This reported on Joe Blow Network. Being that he didn't state the project at hand, this doesn't exactly confirm the Castlevania rumors, but there's a pretty good hunch that this could, in fact, be the long-anticipated series. We will just have to stay tuned for more information.
1: Castlevania. Do you remember that video game, Castlevania?
3: Maybe. Eh, I
1: played it a couple of times. When I was younger,
2: you will probably be better as a cartoon.
1: I think it would be great as a cartoon, great because the story is so good, and you could expand on the story because the video games, you know, back in the days, you was just controlling the guy saving the princess, so there was like so much open openness that you could do with the story. So if a Castlevania cartoon uh, is in development somewhere in Hollywood land yeah I definitely welcome that because it'll, it'll bring a nostalgic uh, era back to today's world and that's what we need some you see in this case we need something like this because it's, it's it wasn't a film it was a video game so it's not a reboot but it's reintroducing these old concepts to the to the young kids on the block who don't know about these Retro video games. Everything is Call of Duty and you know doesn't have nothing to do with story and development uh, Have you played uh, Castlevania Stacy?
3: No, I have not in fact. This is my first time hearing about it
1: Really oh my yeah. gosh,
2: okay, let's not let's crash that off
1: <laughs> No, but I don't <laughs> think she could know if, if yeah, I think it's on Xbox. Maybe it's on Xbox and I think you could download it from there. I think so. Maybe See, I don't have an Xbox I um, do No, not the new one. No, not the new one. Yeah, so I
2: have, the th- I have Xbox one
1: Yeah, so probably it's on the Xbox one store You could download it have
2: to check it out. Yeah, probably have a demo a
1: demo. Some of these old games they give it to you for free. Let's okay, see. yeah,
2: since it's so old.
1: Yeah, it is very old. It's very old. Yeah, but a cartoon definitely. Welcome a cartoon. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah.
2: Definitely.
1: Yeah. Th- if they make it as good as Voltron, you see how m- how well they made Voltron. I
2: know you love Voltron. I love
1: Voltron and mm-hmm. the new suit from Voltron. hmm You see, they. That's a good. That's a good... But we're
2: not talking about Voltron. (laughs) No, but I was saying that's a good
1: example of how you bring back a nostalgic product and you, you know, put it for modern times and it looks good.
2: Yes. Yeah. Agreed.
0: Agreed. Television. The Exorcist on Fox. Season 2 in question.
2: Okay. Let's talk about the second season of The Exorcist which there are rumors that it's not planned now jerry slater um spoke with Biarrity, um and this is what he had to say uh it could be the goal is not to tell an anthology story because i don't think this is american horror story the characters who survived the first season and still have story left to tell you will absolutely see them again going into season two. I think our two priests, Marcus and Tomas, are probably going to be the spine of the show going forward. But the idea is to aggressively tell a new story every single season. Well, let's just say that their ratings is horrible. Uh, this show premiered in September 2016 and according to their ratings it kept on dropping week by week not only that but on their first week their rating dropped to a negative 30 and out of all the weeks that they were premiering and they were showing on TV only three weeks have positive rating so this the Exorcist show, it was supposed to have good standard, uh, being that the movie did so good, but I guess that not everybody's on the same page. So let's see what's going to happen to, with season two. What do you guys think, Stacy
3: and Ken?
1: Stacy, you go first. Have you seen the, the TV show?
3: Um, I started, it. Uh, I started like half the first episode of season one. But I didn't really. Uh, I haven't really seen it after that because I was too busy trying to catch up on my other shows. But um, I will say one that I am shocked that they are that the ratings are decreasing. But two, I'm kind of not shocked because I mean, just I mean, to make a series off of the original classic is just. Uh, it's almost like making a reboot. Probably worse than making a reboot or a remake, honestly. Um, you're breaking that down into a into a TV show series. I mean, episode by episode, season by season, and it's only. And then the fact that it's all centering pretty much on one family. You know, you have three different people, but under one family. It's like I can see that getting very tired over time
1: yeah I agree we spoke about the exorcist the exorcist uh, a while back in our podcast if you recall Stacy um, we went to see the premiere episode in uh, private screening which uh, I was surprised And I, when I watched the, the the pilot episode the effects were great The effects look like uh, movie quality, especially the exorcism scene that the father was doing to uh, a young Mexican boy. That scene was very powerful because all the special effects, the lighting looked good. So it had that uh, cinematic feel to the series. But of course, after the pilot episode, I think I only watched episode three and that's it i stopped watching it because it became too cliche uh, i'm particularly not fond about why there should be a caucasian family you see and that's one of the things that horror cinema and the horror circuits should change and it should provide a variety of different uh, uh, ethnicities
2: well they did give you the other ethnicities with Father Marcos and Father Tomas
1: yeah but uh, like I stated before uh, Father uh, the priest although he's Latino he's not the central figure
2: well apparently now in season two they want to make them central figures
1: yeah if that's the case yeah definitely but if it's a Caucasian family, again, it's uh, going to be the same predicament. They should be different ethnicities, different cultures, Latino, African-American, Asian as the central uh, uh, protagonists with Father Tomas, of course, you know, because you got to break out of that stigma, that placement uh, Caucasian rich, rich Caucasian families are, are in danger. Oh, we got to help them you know
2: well um, according to the ratings for season one there was only three shows that have positive ratings so uh, depends how many episodes they have out for me I don't think season soon is gonna make it no in my opinion I think this show is done it's burned out they should just try something else
1: yeah and that's Fox Fox has a reputation of bringing uh, movies as TV shows. They brought The Exorcist, and their other failed project was Minority Report. Uh, you know, you, there's some just like how you mentioned, Stacey. There's it, it seems like a reboot, and it gets tired too quickly. How how can you stretch a, a two-hour movie across eight episodes per season?
2: Is <laughs> eight episodes? yeah so wow so five out of those nobody liked right so yeah. what that tells you is telling you something executive producers director that's telling you something if you don't have good ratings means people don't like the show look for something else that's gonna make you good money stop the
3: remakes
1: yeah that is so true anything Wha- else you care to weigh in stacy
3: I definitely agree, but it, it's all about the approach. Um, another series that have uh, generated from a film or a franchise was the Screen series, right? It generated from um, Screen from the scary movies. Now it's been turned into a television of television series, and so far two seasons have been released, and they're they've been great. So. I guess it's more so all about the approach when it comes to um, when it when it comes to um, the exorcist I feel like uh, like I said I haven't watched much um, but I have a sense I have a sense that what they did was they probably rushed it I have a sense that Maybe episode I mean or season one was good and then they rushed it to season two. Because for a minute didn't ep- I mean didn't season one have good ratings?
1: Yes. What the which is the date that had the best ratings?
2: Season one didn't have good ratings until like their fourth episode. Really? really? Yes.
1: I, huh. I, Enid is looking at the Nielsen ratings chart uh right now and uh the second episode is in the negative
3: the third one is on a negative yeah that's that's very shocking because uh well the trailer the trailer was very good so i thought
2: yeah well they actually put the best part on the trailer and then when you actually get to see the thing everything was on the trailer
3: and everything else was kind of like blah boring yeah, that makes sense. What's probably happening is that it's taking a minute to build up the story. Which is I mean, what I'm not saying is good. I'm you know, but what's probably happening is that they're taking a minute to build up from the story. To build up the story. That might be what happened or maybe it's probably more of a drama sitcom than anything.
1: Yeah, that's what it is. It's a drama and like i said uh, the yeah. pilot episode was good i enjoyed it but i enjoyed it for the cinematic value that it ha- that it offered and most of the most of the scenes were were cliche you knew what was going to happen so that's what attracted me the cinematic value and um yeah no
2: plus we've seen the movie so many times we already know what's going to happen with the exorcist
1: right it's good versus evil man well, versus the you supernatural you
3: might know though. you <laughs> might know I don't know if you guys been watching the Scream series, but you need to watch it. Because they do so many twists and turns in the series that it's like I mean it questions everything you've ever like watched about the movies. It questions everything.
1: Yeah, this I haven't seen season two for Scream. Um and mind you, look what happened. Did you notice this? First, well not first, but one one T V show that that is like Scream pops up. Then another one pops up. And another one pops up. Yeah. You see this? That's so that's you true. have Scream Queens, you have Scream, then you have Slasher, and but each one
3: Well you cannot categorize Slasher and Scream Queens under the sun. Slasher is very good. It's, the first season was very good. Hoping for a second season. Scream
2: Queens.
3: Well, the I way this you.
2: season ended, to me, looked like they ain't coming back. Who? Scream yeah, Queens. Screen. No, it's oh, that two. was annoying. God.
1: They're in the. They're in the hospital. No, they're
2: even, done with I the hospital season,
1: the
2: two is season. season. Oh. <laughs> season two is done, and the way season two ended, it looks
3: like they're not coming back.
1: Well, I don't know. I don't know no i but didn't
3: even finish the first season that was annoying the <laughs> chanels are annoying oh yeah
1: no but stacy you have to classify scream queens with slasher and scream because oh, it's the, sa- God, it's no, the same it is no. because at, it's a whodunit it's a whodunit horror you don't know who's the killer so you, it's the yeah, same
3: but scream queens is like i don't uh, know <laughs> No. <laughs> I no, you know, I love Jamie Lee Curtis, you know. She she's one of my favorites, but that show yeah, No, she, she was just... kind of sexual on this
2: one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she,
3: no, she's
2: not... on
1: this one, a lot. You see? And yeah. here's the here's the thing. Here's the thing. The only reason why Scream Queens is still on Fox despite the bad ratings is because executive producer for scream queens is also the executive producer for uh american horror story and that's also on a sister channel so by being hey look i have a show over there you mean fx right Yeah, I have a show over there in fx i'm gonna have this show over here even though the ratings suck over here well what are you gonna tell me i can't have a show no, we we going to keep that show over there because I'm the big big man with the executive producer and I could do over here and I could do it over there that's the only reason why Scream Queens is on TV other, th- other than that uh, it would have been cancelled, no season 2
2: man we started with the exorcist and we're sure
3: they don't give them Scream Queens as well <laughs> Oh, I'm so sorry about that. No, just yeah, scream queen. No, that like I said, I didn't even finish the first season. I was just, I think I got into, I think maybe five or six episodes, and I was just like, oh, shut up, and I turned it off.
1: Yeah, it's it's annoying. (laughs) It's annoying. It's annoying. Okay, I know what you're trying to say, dude. Going back to the Exorcist. Yeah, I know what you're trying to say.
3: But yeah, it's, it's very shocking about the actresses. Uh, the trailers, very good. They're very intriguing. They reeled you in. So I'm really shocked to hear that season one isn't wasn't panning out that great. Yeah,
1: if I I would suggest putting it on on Showtime or HBO. That way you could show more violence. People like violence, mm-hmm. and uh, F,
0: Fox is pretty tame when it comes to horror
3: very true
0: television mario van peebles supernatural horror series acquired by sci-fi
3: sci-fi has ordered the superstition horror series from mario van peebles and xl raider media van peebles will produce alongside barry gordon He will also serve as writer and director and even star in some of the episodes. Lawrence Andrees will serve as executive producer. Brewster Brown and John Mitchell Todd will serve as writers. Joe Anderson Thompson is pinned the showrunner. The synopsis. Superstition follows the Mosley family, owners of the only funeral home in a fictitious town on the outskirts of New Orleans, where they're also keepers of the town's dark secrets and history. Known for its haunted houses, elevated graveyards, hot townsfolk, and rich history of unusual phenomena. The town is also a landing patch for the world's darkest manifestations of fear, guided into the world by an ancient, mysterious malefactor named the Dredge. Production for the series will start early this year and will premiere later this year. Stay tuned for updates. This reported on Deadline.
1: Mario Van Peebles. Wow, that I haven't heard his name in, in a long time. And he's a very influential actor, producer, and director in Hollywood. And it was major part because of his father, Melvin Van Peebles, who paved the way for African-American uh, exploitation-type cinema uh, back in the... I'm going to say six, late 60s, 70s. And, uh, Melvin Van Peebles released a a, a, a movie. And that was such a controversial movie at the time, but, uh, his contribution, uh, really paved the way for African-American and the exploitation era, uh, in that decade. Now, moving along for, uh, Mario Van Peebles, uh, If you go to indb.com, his filmography is extensive and although he has touched on sci-fi, uh, before, uh, I believe this may be the first time that he's actually going to be backing a horror theme series. And if it's on sci-fi, sci-fi has been on a roll with very good intriguing, uh, series. Both in horror and in sci fi. So, if they have an interest in this production, uh, we're gonna be treated to a very good production. Do you remember Mario Van Peebles, uh, Ini?
2: Mm.
1: He was in the movie New Jack City. I
2: can see this picture. Do you think so?
3: yeah he's old <laughs> I'm sorry, sorry. wow um, that was nice um, honestly I did not I was not even uh, familiar with uh, Mario Bad Peebles until I looked up his filmography I'm like oh wow yeah he's old and uh, <laughs>
6: <laughs> but you still kicking, man. You still kicking. <laughs> no, that was good. Did hey, you see his picture? Mm, mm. Yeah, he's older.
2: Oh, <laughs> I mean, God. back in the days, he was really handsome. <laughs> but it's true, Uh-oh. he's older now.
3: So <laughs> wow. Uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah, 1968,
1: 9268. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> you guys are evil. Both of you guys I'm are sorry. evil. I'm <laughs> sorry. I was just so uh, that was so like drained out there. Oh god. <laughs> <laughs> you guys just t- Let's toss out this segment
2: right
3: here. <laughs> <Let's> <laughs> <laughs> wow. <coughs> <laughs> See, I'm, I'm
2: a <laughs> um. me to... <laughs> Oh.
1: <God>. Anyway.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Ken oh, is containing man. his laugh.
6: <laughs> it's the way you said it.
1: The way you said it. The way you
6: said it. So. <laughs> it.
2: <laughs>
1: Wow. <laughs> anyway, uh what is the name of that program he wants to put uh, uh Stacy?
3: I'm sorry. But... <laughs> What's the name of the program? What was
1: the name of the uh the show that sci-fi purchased?
3: Um it's called Superstitious. No, superstition. It's called superstition. Um it will start production early this year if it hasn't started already. And it will premiere later this year. Uh, an official release date has not yet been determined.
6: Hmm.
3: Man, yeah, I you think...
2: you should have said that he's the actor for the movie called Solo. Then I would have remembered. Oh it. man! Yeah, uh,
1: Solo, Solo, man.
3: What? You took it way back. Oh my gosh!
1: Yeah, okay. I'm, I'm thinking New Jack City. That's but, more, um, you know? <laughs>
3: But the synopsis, the, the synopsis actually sounds really good. So, um, you know, it sounds intense, sounds suspenseful. So here's to a hopeful new good show. I yeah. Like I said, sci-fi, sci-fi
1: has been on a roll. They are producing some good stuff. Uh, wait, wait, some good stuff for TV.
3: Not well, movies. we watch watching the same sci-fi here.
1: Yeah. The Wait, ex-
3: what so are you watching? <laughs> well, uh, well, well, well and
1: all that. no, well, we have the, <laughs> the magicians, we have the, the magicians that we spoke about earlier. That's a good show. Uh, the Expanse. uh, the reality sh- uh, competition, uh, face off. Um, oh my gosh, it's on the tip of my head. And we interviewed uh, the bartender. Um, yes uh-huh Ah. Uh, you don't remember yeah. do you? Oh, <laughs> no. you, see, you got me with the old part that you just threw my <laughs> train of thought around here <laughs> no
2: i don't remember
1: it'll come to me watch when the podcast so is over like yeah that show okay but which is bad because we. why with the it. guy with
2: the punisher
1: no that's the that's the expense okay no, no the one that we had interviewed uh of his shows and he caught you off guard remember oh. yeah exactly see you threw me off off oh here.
2: Yeah, yeah it's the new show that we started watching yeah you that's so we don't remember because it's the new show
1: it's a new show yeah you, right. yeah so yes yeah, they see i named a few shows right there
3: <laughs> <laughs> um yeah those all sound great <laughs>
1: But the movies on the other hand, the <laughs> movies are, are totally different.
3: So uh, I that is of... definitely true because Don't I'm be still sticky. stuck back in like what the eighties and nineties before S C I F I changed to S Y F I or F Y. That's where I'm stuck back in.
1: Oh no, yeah. Sci-fi is pretty good now. Sci fi uh-huh. sci-fi is very good now. They changed.
3: Uh, yeah, they changed (laughs) definitely. You know, I was watching movies like The Mosquitoes where it was like giant mosquitoes as big as us sucking people's blood drop. That was awesome.
1: That's all that was from sci fi,
3: (laughs) (laughs) that was was from sci fi, -fi, the old sci fi. I remember they nest, or no, was yeah, I think was they nest like flying killer cockroaches.
2: What the hell. Uh, Oh, probably Ken
3: yeah. didn't see that one. No Ken way. didn't see that one. Aberration? Aberration, those, like, flesh-eating lizards?
1: No, that doesn't ring a bell.
3: Man, you now I feel old, okay. Mind. Now I feel old now. That <laughs>
1: she feels old.
3: I feel old now. But, no, yeah, I definitely have to um start watching The magicians and everything so definitely a lot of my watch
1: And thank you for tuning in to another episode for DK Mag Horror News Podcast, a supplement for dkmag.com, d e c a y m a g dot com. My name is Kenar Tuz, founder and editor for dkmag.com.
2: Enid Artuz, content contributor
3: for dkmag.com. Stacy Cox, staff correspondent for dkmag.com.
1: And you could find us on. Twitter at DK Mag, you could find us on Facebook at DK Mag and Instagram, Google Plus as well. Uh, tune in to our iTunes. Social. Yes, iTunes. Yes. Keep forgetting to say that iTunes. We are on iTunes. The podcast can be downloaded via iTunes. It could also be downloaded fr- through our website. And uh, yeah, we the weekly podcast is a supplement for. Our The articles that we provide, uh, the dedication that we give to providing news, updated news, reviews, interviews on this very popular uh, genre. Uh, Once again, thank you for tuning in and see you guys next week.